Welcome to the MD Anderson Plastic Surgery Podcast. I'm Malka Asad, a research fellow in the Department of Plastic Surgery at MD Anderson, under the supervision of Dr. Charles Butler. And in this podcast, we will cover diverse topics related to reconstruction and microsurgery from experts in the field. Today, I have the great honor of being joined by Dr. Margaret Rubon to discuss contemporary approach to post-amputation pain. Dr. Rubon is an assistant professor in the Department of Plastic Surgery here at MD Anderson, and her clinical practice and research are focused on reconstructive microsurgery. Welcome, Dr. Rubon, to the podcast. Thank you. Today, we're going to talk about the management of post-amputation pain with a specific focus on targeted muscle re-innervation, or TMR, and regenerative peripheral nerve interface, RPNI. Dr. Rubo, pain is a common complaint of amputation patients. And before we dive into its management, can you please talk, talk about the different types of pain that follows amputation and their etiologies? Yes, so there are two basic types of pain that amputees will um, experience. The first type of pain is what we call residual stump pain. So that's actually in the amputated limb at the end of the stump that is left. The other pain that we talk about is phantom pain or phantom sensations, and that's pain that the patients experience in the extremity that's been amputated. And the, they have a feeling of either electricity or ice pick or some very disturbing pain in the phantom limb that's no longer there. And what's the reason for this pain that follows amputation? So we think it's that when you cut the nerve in a extremity, traditionally um, the nerve was done with a traction neurectomy, which just meant that the nerve was put on traction, cut, and then allowed to retract into the stump. Um, but those nerve fascicles after being amputated didn't really have a directed area in which to heal or to regenerate and frequently would just form bulbs of painful tissue, basically regenerating axons that are trying to find um, a new target or a new home. So that is more what we see in residual stump pain. When we talk about phantom pain and phantom limb pain, um, it's a very complex interplay of factors. There seems to be something that when the efferent, afferent connection of the nerve to the brain gets cut and there is no longer the feedback from the efferent pathway, the efferent pathway keeps sending signals and looking for the amputated limb. And it creates this, what they call a nociceptive engram in the cerebral structures. And basically the cerebral structures keep searching for the lost extremity and it can cause debilitating uh, sensations of pain at the cortical level and patients can be quite honestly crippled by this sensation that their extremity is still there. Excellent. So before the TMR and RPNI, how did we use to manage residual and phantom limb pain? So at the time of surgery, uh, many people have tried to do techniques that were actually quite similar. They got close. You know, I think the earliest things we heard about were nerve transposition into the muscle or traction neurectomy, as we talked about, where you cut it and you let it retract away from the end of the stump. Um, So those were surgical maneuvers that some people tried. In terms of chemical or medical maneuvers, 
people would try to basically mask the pain with either neuromodulators such as gabapentin, Lyrica, or with opioids such as, you know, oxycodone, Percocet. Um, but I think that all of these medical interventions were really masking uh, techniques to try to trick the brain into not feeling or sensing that nerve. So these techniques were not addressing the real problem. Right, exactly. So now after we, dis- we covered the pain uh, types and the traditional approaches, I would like to move on to discussing TMR and RPNI. TMR was originally used to improve the myoelectric prosthetic function, but it was found to decrease pain in these patients. Can you please talk about the definition of TMR and how it evolved? Yes, this was a really uh, fortuitous observation. Um, Dr. Todd Kukin and Dr. Greg Demonian had been searching for a way to power myoelectric prostheses. And they wanted to find a way to amplify central nervous system uh, signals on the periphery. And so what they started to do was transfer cut nerves into muscles that were close to the surface that an EMG could pick up on. And so they started implanting these cut nerve endings into redundant muscles, either on the chest wall, or in the upper extremity. And the reason those muscles were redundant is because the distal joint had been amputated and they were no longer needed to move the joint. What they found as they gained success with the transfer patterns and the um, EMG signals, which they got distinct EMG signals that um, maintained their original cortical assignment. So if you took, for example, Um, one of the brachial plexus nerves and transplanted into the pectoralis muscle, the EMG signal on the pectoralis would still maintain the original brachial plexus assignment. What they found was that as they were doing these techniques and their amputees, uh, both military and traumatic amputees, um, they found that the patients were saying they had a lot less pain than before. Um, all of the patients they were doing the technique had had an amputation for a while. So once they realized that this may be actually also altering the pain control spectrum, they started to do this for pain control reasons. And um, they started doing these transfers and monitoring the transfers in both a delayed and prophylactic fashion. And the results were pretty incredible. Um, Dr. Damanian's group um, really published the first randomized controlled trial looking at doing TMR for pain control in a delayed fashion and just had overwhelmingly positive results. And then another study with Damanian and Ian Valerio also looked at doing this technique immediately at the time of amputation and got overwhelmingly positive results in both chronic pain control and chronic phantom pain control. So it really took off as not only a method of enabling myoelectric prostheses, but it also took off as a potential pain control um, technique. And really what I think is fascinating about this is that it's probably the first major surgical ideological shift in amputations since the Civil War. 
to be honest. Um, you know, when we think about amputations in the last 150 years, uh, we've gotten really good at reducing the amount of blood loss, um, but we haven't really changed the way in which they're done. Um, they're pretty much done the same way. Um, so this is really the first time we're really actively addressing uh, the chronic pain spectrum. Really excellent points. Uh, why, why does TMR decrease pain after amputation? Yeah, good, good question. So uh, Dr. Damanian um, has been quoted multiple times saying it gives the nerve somewhere to go and something to do. So by transferring a mixed major peripheral nerve, so let's say the sciatic nerve at the time of an above knee amputation, if you can transfer that sciatic nerve into small motor branches, either from the gastroc or the soleus, the trophic signal from the denervated gastroc and soleus muscle actually encourages the sciatic nerve bundles to basically heal physiologically um, through the coaptation. And those trophic signals basically cause the nerve to regenerate into that new uh, muscle complex. And I equate it to the buddy system. We give those nerves a buddy, we give them something to do, and they seem to calm down. And I think that makes perfect sense, not only why we have less neuroma formation, but um, why the phantom pain also decreases because you suddenly no longer have that disjoint um, signaling. You've restored the efferent, afferent pathway. And uh, I think it calms the brain down um, from looking for a buddy. I also, um, you know, have been really impressed because they have done studies and rabbit models that show when you do this targeted muscle reinnervation, that's the coaptation of the nerves, that on histological analysis in a rabbit model, you can actually see that the axons in that new coaptation um, have far less aberrant sprouting, they're more myelinated, and there's decreased numbers indicating that the myelinated axons that are forming are working and you don't have this constant budding of new aberrant axons. Um, so I think it's pretty, pretty impressive results. That's very interesting. What is your technique for the nerve transfer for both upper and lower extremity TMR? Which nerve transfers do you use usually? Well, I use the patterns that, um, you know, Demonian and Valerio and their groups established. They've established both transfers for the upper extremity and um, for the lower extremity. Um, what is a pearl that I really gained from talking to their group and going to their instructive course is that when you think about it, any redundant muscle motor nerve can serve as a recipient. So if I have very unusual oncologic resections where the usual donors are not there or the usual recipients aren't there, I use a nerve stimulator called the checkpoint nerve stimulator. And I just find a motor nerve to any nearby muscle. And I can transfer um, the mixed major nerve, whether it's the sciatic. Um, and for example, in a below knee amputation, I usually do branches of the common uh, perineal nerve into the gastroc 
uh, sural branches. If I'm transferring the tibial nerve, then I transfer the tibial nerve into soleus motor branches. So basically you're finding motor nerves near the cut amputated nerve. Perfect. After we covered the TMR, I would like now to move to RPNI. Can you please note how this technique is done and how it decreases pain? Yes, so um, Paul Soderno's group, um, at basically the same time as Dumanian, were also studying uh, myoelectric prostheses, and they had a slightly different technique, but with the same principles. So they were taking um, a free muscle graft from nearby muscle. Uh, the exact measurements are 0.5 by one by three centimeters and they were wrapping it around the cut end of the major peripheral nerve. And the muscle graft being denervated as well would secrete trophic signals that it had been denervated. And they showed that the major peripheral nerve would re-innervate that muscle graft. And they have also animal models that showed that EMG signals could be picked up on these re-innervated muscle grafts. And so they called these RPNIs or regenerative peripheral nerve interfaces, which could be read by an EMG for a myoelectric prosthesis. Simultaneously, they also saw a pain reduction. So they started studying this RPNI technique as a pain reduction technique and showed they also had decreased neuroma formation and decreased uh, chronic uh, pain and phantom pain. Um, what I think is interesting is I think the two sciences are pretty similar. You're basically giving the cut nerve somewhere to go and something to do based on trophic signaling. Um, and so I think both techniques are basically enabling the nerve to have a job, a job to do, rather than just kind of spinning its wheels, apparently sprouting. Excellent. Is there any selection criteria for patient to present with post-amputation pain for either technique? I think that when I see my patients in a delayed fashion, um, all my patients are oncologic patients. Um, I am most comfortable with the TMR technique, although I personally feel that the two techniques are complementary. I actually think there are major strengths and weaknesses of each technique. So for the TMR technique, um, you're giving a direct motor nerve, major peripheral nerve coaptation. And especially for, if you're using it for prosthetic um, re-innervation, it also re-innervates the Golgi tendons, the other muscular kind of sensory apparatuses. So that's one of the um, positives over, over RPNI. However, one of the critiques of TMR is that um, there can be a donor nerve to recipient nerve mismatch in size, and you can get a neuroma in continuity. Um, and so that's, that's, its, that's its major critique. For RPNI, um, you don't usually get a neuroma in continuity because it's innervating the whole piece of muscle wrapped around it. But one of the critiques is that you don't get any kind of sensory feedback from the muscle. You don't get any of the stretch receptors, the Golgi tendons. So I actually think they're complementary. So at this point in time, when I do TMR, um, I actually do it with an RPNI. And we have an IRB that we're currently studying to look at these two techniques together. 
I know Ian Valerio has also looked at this. Um, and so we're working out if this is really better together or not. In terms of selecting patients, I think that any patient with chronic pain in a delayed fashion is a good candidate for um, TMR, provided they haven't undergone a lot of other procedures that would have changed the nerve anatomy or position. But I think it's critical that when you talk to patients that are considering going, undergoing this technique, any surgery on a hypersensitive nerve immediately will make it worse. And so I always tell my patients that they have to be prepared for an acute exacerbation of pain that should last about four to six weeks and then should taper off. And then at about three to six months, we start seeing the effects of the TMR and the nerve healing up to about a year. And so I think the biggest thing when you select these patients is they have to understand this is not an immediate solution. This is really for chronic pain and a chronic solution. Um, but most of them, especially delayed, are in so much pain, they're willing to wait for that effect. This is a very uh, important point regarding managing patient expectation, uh, because if the patient was expecting to have pain released from the next day, that would be against what they... It be, they yeah, it would be terrible. And so I think that as the provider, it takes that extra step to really educate them about that, because you never want a patient in baseline pain to wake up and then wonder why they're maybe even, even in more pain. Um, and so I think I've really, from the leaders in this field, learned that you really have to temper expectations. Dr. Robo, you mentioned that these two techniques were shown to decrease pain even in the prophylactic patients. Do you perform TMR or RPNI for any patient who was, who was undergoing amputation? I do. Um, and one of the things is we as providers have to decide is um, what is the risk of overtreatment? So what we know is that 75% of general amputees will have phantom pain and then up to 50 to 75% will have residual stump pain. And this is just based on statistics historically. There are some that may drop as low as 25%, but that's probably the lower threshold. So we run the risk of treating 25% of patients that may never have had pain with this procedure, without this procedure. Now, I think the important thing is in none of the studies that have been published so far, has there ever been an, a time where there's been an indication that TMR or RPNI has made a patient's pain worse, nor has there been um, any evidence that it causes pain by doing the procedure other than the acute surgical incision. So when I talk to my patients about it, um, I, I tell them there's, there's no current evidence that I can make your pain worse, except in the delayed patients when I say there will be an acute exacerbation. So really what we're looking at is an over-treatment over of maybe 25%. But I think that the chronic pain is so debilitating, not only just sensory disability, but functional. If they can't don a prosthetic, if they can't get out and move around, if their psychosocial functioning declines because of chronic narcotic use, 
um, I think the treatment of that is so overwhelmingly positive that I think over treatment of 25% or less is a will is a is more than um, necessary to prevent those who don't have chronic pain. So the risk benefit ratio would favor prophylactic use. Yes, I think absolutely, especially based on the data we have. And you know, I think one of the things, especially for my particular population of oncologic patients, is that a little bit different from the military or the traumatic population, a lot of times my patients are in baseline pain. So they present almost more like delayed patients because they've had neurotoxic chemo radiation. They have had tumor burden from the tumor growing and pressing on sensitive structures. Some of them present with tumors that are ulcerated or infected. So I think some of these patients that I see um, are already pre-sensitized to post-op pain. Um, There's really good data out there that shows that a patient who has pain in that limb pre-amputation has a higher risk for post-operative pain in that stump and in the phantom limb. So I think for my patients, the overtreatment may actually be much less because these patients are super high risk for post-operative chronic pain. Excellent point. Uh, the final question I have for today is the technique that Dr. Valerio described using TMI with pedicle vascularized RPNI. What is the rationale for this technique and what's your thought on that? Well, I think it goes back to the two techniques taking um, a similar mechanism of healing, that is denervated muscle, sending a trophic signal to the proximal nerve to regenerate and heal. And I think that by wrapping the TMR coaptation in a small RPNI, I think what we get from that is that if there is any uh, axonal escape from donor to recipient size mismatch, then the RPNI can serve almost like an insulation and can allow reinnervation of that area rather than aberrant sprouting. And so I think it's almost like a safety, um, a safety catch. Now I will say that would make it more difficult if you were trying to set these patients up for prosthetics. But I will say, um, one of the things is that a lot of the times I'm using this technique, I'm really using it for pain control because a lot of my patients are lower extremity patients and the myoelectric prostheses for the lower extremity are just not there yet because they're too heavy. Um, the technology is not quite there. So I think the TMR with RPNI is gonna be hopefully a complementary technique with these, both these successful ones. That brings us to the end of our discussion. Dr. Rubo, would you like to share any additional thoughts on this topic? No, I, I think that this is just a really exciting time. And especially when we have an opioid epidemic, it's a nice technique that um, has been developed by some really brilliant surgeons um, that is a non-narcotic or non-opioid alternative. And I think it's also the next, next step forward in how we treat amputees and especially their quality of life after either traumatic or oncologic resection. Exactly. That's going to wrap up our discussion for today's episode. I would like to thank you, Dr. Rubo, for joining us today. 
Absolutely. Thank you. If you like this podcast, tell your colleagues about it, subscribe, rate us, and review us on the Apple Podcast. You can send your thoughts to masaad at mdanderson.org. We would like to point out that the information and material provided during this podcast are just recommendations. There are other medically appropriate options available that are not addressed in this podcast. And every provider must exercise independent medical judgment to determine what is medically appropriate and best practice based on each individual patient's medical needs. As a listener of this podcast, you agree to release from liability and hold harm as UTMD Anderson, its agencies, officers, employees, from any accident, injury, illness, death, loss, or damage arising from or relating to, directly or indirectly, this podcast. Thank you everyone for listening. I'm Malki Asad, and this is the MD Anderson Plastic Surgery Podcast.